So this morning, uh, my message is titled, Have We Forgotten? I've been reading, uh, Meg and I went to uh, Half Price Books, when was that, like two or three weeks ago? And uh, found this really good book that points you back to a really good book. <laughs> uh, it's, it's a book called Living the Cross-Centered Life. Keeping the Gospel the Main Thing. It's a book by C.J. Mahaney. It's really simple, but it's really made me think again about how little I think about what Christ accomplished on the cross for us. That's the central focus. If Christ didn't die, we couldn't talk about His healing. It's all in Christ. And so today I want to look at Leviticus chapter 16, and I know that sounds super exciting. All of us read in Leviticus all the time. Um, But I want us to see this, what Christ did for us, what He delivered us from. So let's read Leviticus 16. I'll read the whole thing, um, and then we'll... See what the Lord has to say. Now the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they had approached the presence of the Lord and died. The Lord said to Moses, Tell your brother Aaron that he shall not enter at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat which is on the ark, or he will die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. Aaron shall enter the place with this, With a bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on a holy linen tunic. And the linen undergarment shall be next to his body. And he shall be girded with a linen sash and attired with the linen turban. These are holy garments. And he shall bathe his body in water and put them on. He shall take from the congregation of the sons of Israel two male goats for a sin offering. And one ram for a burnt offering. Then Aaron shall offer the bull for the sin offering, which is for himself, that he may make atonement for himself and for his household. He shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the doorway of the tent of meeting. Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other for the scapegoat. Then Aaron shall offer the goat on which the lot for the Lord fell and make it a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot for the scapegoat fell shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement upon it, to send it into the wilderness as the scapegoat. Then Aaron shall offer the bull of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his household, and he shall slaughter the bull of the sin offering, which is for himself. He shall take a firepan full of coals of fire from upon the altar before the Lord, and two handfuls of finely ground sweet incense and bring it inside the veil. He shall put the incense on the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is on the Ark of the Covenant. Otherwise he will die. Moreover, I shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the mercy seat on the east side. Also in front of the mercy seat he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Then he shall slaughter the goat of the sin offering which is for the people and bring its blood inside the veil and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull. 
and sprinkle it on the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. He shall make atonement for the holy place because of the impurities of the sons of Israel, because of their transgressions in regard to all their sins. And thus he shall do for the tent of meeting which abides with them in the midst of their impurities. When he goes in to make atonement in the holy place, no one shall be in the tent of meeting until he comes out that he may make atonement for himself and for his household and for all the assembly of God, of Israel, sorry. Then he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it and shall take some of the blood of the bull and the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar on all sides. With his finger he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it seven times and cleanse it and from the impurities of the sons of Israel consecrate it. Then he will finish atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar he shall offer the live goat. Then Aaron shall lay both of his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the sons of Israel and all their transgressions in regard to all their sins. He shall lay them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who stands in readiness. The goat shall bear on itself all their iniquities to a solitary land, and he shall release the goat in the wilderness." Then Aaron shall come into the tent of meeting and take off the linen garments which he has put on and when he went into the holy place and shall leave them there. He shall bathe his body with water in a holy place and put on his clothes and come forth and offer his burnt offering and the burnt offering of the people and make atonement for himself and for the people. Then he shall offer in up in smoke the fat of the sin offering on the altar. The one who was released, the goat... The one who has released the goat as the scapegoat shall wash his clothes and bathe his body with water. Then afterward, he shall come into the camp. But the bull of the sin offering and the goat of the sin offering, whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place, shall be taken outside the camp. And they shall burn their hides, their flesh, and their refuse in the fire. Then the one who burns them shall wash his clothes and bathe his body with water. Then afterward, he shall come into the camp. This shall be a permanent statue for you in the seventh month on the tenth day of the month. You shall humble, humble your souls and do not do any work, whether the native or the alien who sojourns among you. For it is on this day that atonement shall be made for you to cleanse you. You will be clean from all your sins before the Lord. It is to be a Sabbath of solemn, solemn rest for you and you may humble your souls. It is a permanent statute so that priest who is anointed and ordained to serve as a priest in his father's place shall make atonement. He shall thus put on the linen garments, the holy garments, and make atonement for the holy sanctuary. And he shall make atonement for the tent of meeting and for the altar. He shall also make atonement for the priest and for all the people of the assembly. Now you shall have this as a permanent statute to make atonement for the sons of Israel for all their sins once every year. And just as the Lord had commanded Moses, so he did. I know that's a lot of verses. We're not going to cover them all. But it's important to see what the atonement is, what it is pointing to. If we forget the cross, then we might as well just walk out and stop meeting together. Because that's the only thing that brings us together. It's the cross of Christ. I mean, we're all from different backgrounds, different uh, places, have different interests, 
outside of Christ, but when Christ saved us, He made us different. And He made us want to be with people like us. And so, what's the big deal about the atonement? I mean, I, I just want to go through and look at the different things. Verse 1 what happened? The sons of Moses decided they wanted to do it their own way, and they died. And not only that, God told Moses, you can't even, this is prior in verse 16, don't even mourn. Can you imagine your, two, two of your sons have died before the Lord, and He's telling him not to mourn? Don't, don't mourn. And then in verse 2, he's, he's telling him, you can't enter. There's no entrance for you. The Holy of Holies is off limits. And then he explains in verse 3, but you can enter the holy place, but you have to bring something. You have to bring something. You have to bring that bull as a sin offering for yourself, which is explained. So the verse, I I should have said this, verse 1 through 10 is like an overview of what the day looked like. And verse 12 or 11 to the end is a, a picture of the details of what that sin offering was like. So he does that. He's got the, his sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. But that's not enough. He has to put on holy clothing. He has to bathe himself. And then... He can go in. All that just to come into the presence, the holiness of God. And then, so the people can enter into His presence, so that God's presence can remain there. They have to bring a bull and two goats to the Lord. Give them to Aaron right there in front of the tabernacle. And they all are together. This is a, this is a whole, imagine a million people. That's the average number that people think there were at this time. Can you imagine a million people surrounding the tabernacle? Bringing these three animals to be sacrificed for their sins. And then in front of the Lord, guess what? Who decides who, which goat is the scapegoat and which one dies? Is it the people? No, the Lord decides who He's going to kill. I think this is pointing to something. So the Lord decides who will be the scapegoat. Who will bear the sin. And then when you get into more detail, we see that Aaron goes in, he takes the blood of the bull first. He doesn't, he can't enter in because he's unholy. Even though he's called to be a priest, he has to make sacrifice for himself just to enter in. He's the only man that can go in there in his lifetime. Isn't that incredible? That entire generation of the life of Aaron, not a single 
other than Moses, entered in. I mean, once Moses, I think, if you look it through the his lifetime. The only Aaron was going in every year. He was the only one that knew what it was like to be in the most intense presence of God. Only Aaron. But he still, I mean, he was set apart, which is what the word holy means, in a sense. He was set apart to the Lord. Holiness under the Lord. I think that's on the front of this uh, pulpit. That's what he was. That's what he wore over him that said he was set apart to the Lord. And even though that was the case, he still had to make atonement for himself and his family. So he goes in with the bull. But because of his sin, he had to take incense in with him. What do you think that... What was that about? And I, I, I did some research and it seems... The Jews believe that when, when Moses or Aaron went into the tabernacle to the Holy of Holies, he took the fire pan kind of like this and backed up, and then he just threw his the incense on there because he what he he couldn't stand to see the presence of God manifest even in the cloud that was above the mercy seat that is spoken of here. He couldn't even look at it. That's what the incense was about. Yes, it was to appease the Lord. It was a, a sweet aroma but it also prevented him from experiencing the fullness of God's presence. Just like Moses, remember he had to be put in the cleft of the rock and God only allowed him to see his backside. And guess what happened? His face shone for days and the people were afraid to even look at him. So that he does that. Then he takes the blood of the bull and he touches the east side of the ark. Then he throws blood in front of the ark. Then he goes out and he slaughters the goat, the sin offering. Now he's going to make atonement for the people. And in that, he's also atoning, making atonement for the holy place. What he's doing is he's cleansing the temple of all the uncleanness that has happened in the last year making it possible for God to remain in their presence that is the most important thing they know that if God leaves them they're nothing remember Moses said God if God said here I'll send you with an angel but I'm not going with you and Moses said no way Moses said if you're not with us we're not going anywhere and that is what is going on here. They want God to remain in their presence. So to do that, He's holy. This is the problem with the church today, most churches. We've forgotten who God is. We've forgotten how holy He is, how righteous and perfect. And then we don't understand the greatness of what Bobby was sharing this morning. We don't understand the greatness of what Christ did for us because we've forgotten who God is. I want to, I think there's, hopefully there's a marker here. So you got, I just want to do a, a quick drawing. So here's, I'm not an artist. So this is the tabernacle. This is the walls outside. This is the gate. Here's, 
a tiny black. This is the arc right here. And then around on each side, you have the Levites. And then outside of that, you have um, like three tribes on each side. Now, I don't know if it's perfectly round. Uh, wrong way. Anyways, um, I don't know if they camp exactly like this, but this is just a representation. So, guess what? The closer you get to the Holy of Holies, the less access there is. The Levites encamped around the tabernacle. It was like a buffer zone because the people were so imperfect and unholy. They were clean. So there's, there's kind of like, this is holy, extreme holiness right there. And then right here you kind of have a holy unto the Lord. And then in here you have this circle. Inside that circle you have clean, pure. Outside of this circle, what's that? Unclean, impure. Why do you think the goat was going out of the camp? The goat had to go out because if he stayed in, the impurity would remain in the camp. The sin offering deals with satisfying the wrath of God. So the goat that is sacrificed is paying the price for the sins of the people. The scapegoat is taking the sins away from the people. There's two theological terms that you've probably heard. Propitiation, that's the vertical relationship with Christ. And then expiation is getting the sin away. Christ fulfilled both of those. That's what this is all... I mean, I look at Leviticus 16 and I'm just thinking... Wow, Christ did all this for me? I mean, there's so many sacrifices. I mean, the Passover lamb points to Christ. The whole temple, the temple theme is throughout the Bible. I mean, um, even Abraham, it says he tabernacled with the Lord. That's the same word. And then you have the, the end time the book of Revelation, the Lamb who was slain, and we'll look at that. Throughout the history of the Bible, the history of the world, there's a temple. Some of it is in us. That's what it says for today. So, he has to do all this. He's making atonement not only for the people, for himself, but also so that God can remain in the tabernacle so that He can be the sanctifier of His people. That's what He says. I am the Lord that sanctifies you. I have sanctified you. It wasn't their works that sanctified them. It was the presence of God in their midst. That, that yearly sacrifice, the constant death of animals. Can you imagine? I mean, every day an animal, the bleeding of a dying animal, lamb or whatever the animal was 
constant reminder of their sin, their unholiness. And yet God chose them of all people. He didn't choose them because they were better. He didn't say, well, I'm going to turn against the Egyptians and choose Israel. No, He chose Israel because He loved them, because He wanted them. That's kind of off topic. I would... (laughs) But it's interesting, he's the only one that can even be in the tent during this time. And it says there in verse 17, he's the only one that can go in. And then once that's done, once he's been in the Holy of Holies, he comes out. And what does he have to do? He has to take off those clothes that he wore into the Holy of Holies. Just think about that. In some way, those clothes are now holy unto the Lord. Just think about the presence of God, His presence at the burning bush. What did He tell Moses? Take your shoes off, you're standing on holy ground. Was that ground innately or naturally holy? No, it was the presence of God that made it holy. But then we get to the scapegoat. He's come out, he's done this. And it says here that Aaron lays both hands in verse 21. And this is just an overview of this this verse, just so you know. He lays both of his hands on the head of the the live goat. And this is an offering to the Lord too. When I was reading this, verse 20, where it says... When he finishes atoning for the holy place in the tent of meeting in the altar, he shall offer the live goat. It seems strange that this is an offering, doesn't it? That he's not killing the animal. How is that an offering? But it is. So he does this before the Lord and before the people. This is a a sign. The people are seeing this transference or transfer of sin onto the goat. It's also called imputation. God is taking the sin of the people of Israel and imputing it or putting it on the goat. It's a symbol to them that their sin has to be atoned for and taken away, just like ours. So he puts his head on the live goat and confesses over it all the iniquities of the sons of Israel in all their transgressions in regard to all their sins. I don't know how specific Aaron was in his confessing the sins over that goat, but that goat was under a curse. When it went out, if you were outside the camp, you were cut off. You were cursed. As a child of God, to be outside of the camp was not where you wanted to be. Because that meant you couldn't experience the presence of God. You couldn't be in His presence. So the goat is sent out after whatever he says, however specific his description of the sin of Israel is. And then he gives it to the hand of a man who's ready to take it out in the wilderness. I don't know what happened to the goat. He's out there alone in the wilderness, probably dies of starvation and thirst. I mean, there's not any 
water in the wilderness unless you're the people of Israel and God is providing it out of rocks. Enough water to, to give a million people and their animals. That's pretty incredible. A rock that could, I mean, there's a message there too. <laughs> so he takes, once he leaves the tent of meeting, he has to take those clothes off. He has to wash himself, dress himself, and then he does the burnt offering. So then he sacrifices the bull for the people and um, in his case the ram for himself and his family. So that's the last thing he does. And even the guy, this is the thing, the guy that goes out who takes the, the goat, he has to cleanse himself and change clothes to come back in to the circle the community to come back inside the camp and then the guy who burns what's left over outside of the camp has to wash himself cleanse himself to come back in I mean if this doesn't point to how wicked we are outside of Christ how seriously God takes sin in our life That uncleanness. God is, God is painting a picture of how desperate we are without Him. How desperate we need Him. The, the people of Israel, they saw blessing in one way. And I, if you want to turn there, Numbers chapter 6, I think it's verse 23. Brother Tom used to use this benediction over us as a body. A good friend of ours in Guatemala who just passed away would do that over the body there. And it says, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine on you and be, be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance on you and give you peace. Do you know that these three things are the same thing? The Jews saw blessing as the face of God shining upon them. This expression, the face of God shining upon you in Hebrew, is the idea of the presence of God with us. It's just like you may have a friend who's really bad about showing up and you say, when I see the white of their eyes, I'll know they're there here. It's the same idea. When we see the face of God, we know He's with us. That's the blessing of God. We don't, that's the, what the Jews saw as blessing of God. His presence in their midst. And you see that throughout. They associated, once the temple was built, they associated God's presence with the temple. So when the temple was destroyed, they're like, where are we going to meet God? Where is His presence now? So, to have His countenance upon us, this is the idea like Moses, when he saw the face of God, the countenance of the Lord was on him. 
his face changed. And he walked around and people said, you've been with the Lord. That's what a blessing was. So the curse would be the opposite. It would be the Lord curse you and abandon you. The Lord keep you in darkness and only give you judgment without grace. The Lord turn His back upon you and remove His peace from you forever. That was the curse upon us. And if you're not born again, it's the curse on you. And I know this, this is really hard right now, but it's about to get good, so bear with me. But this is the curse that was put on Christ. On the cross, He bore the curse of the law. And it says, not only did He bear the curse, but He became a curse. Galatians. Let's look there. Galatians 3. Galatians 3, verse 13. Well, let's look 11 through 13. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, for the righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For in it, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree in order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. I know it's hard to think that the Son of God could have been cursed, but that's what He was doing on the cross. And uh, R.C. Sproul, I was watching a message that is really, really good. It's way better than this message, but... uh, (laughs) I know God is, I believe God is speaking. Um, If you want to know the title, just let me know. Anyways, he says in that message, he says, he didn't just, this is what we see on the cross, that darkness that covers the earth, the feelings of the Lamb of God on the cross for us. That was the incarnation of the curse. That's what, that's how he described it, that, Christ not only was the incarnation of God's love and His forgiveness for us, but also on the cross we see the depth and the the reach of our sin and how when all our sin is piled on the Lord Jesus Christ, the curse is placed upon Him. We have an expression in English that is considered a curse word. And that's essentially what Jesus sensed and felt. That was truly damnation of God. That's what He felt. That's what Christ felt. I don't understand the fullness of, of what He went through and how, how the Trinity is not torn apart and the forsakenness, the alienation from God that He sensed. 
And somehow that was real. That was total abandonment, yet he was still God in the flesh. I don't understand it. I can't, I mean, I have a hard enough time understanding the Trinity, but that's what Christ bore. Our sins from eternity past up into eternity. All that we do in this life has been born by Christ. That doesn't mean we can just go live how we want. But Christ was taken outside the camp. Let's read Hebrews 13, chapter 10, or chapter 13, verse 10. I just want to see the parallels to Christ in our atonement. Because in that atonement we have propitiation, expiation, justification, redemption, and really atonement. I mean, <laughs> that's the, the big word there. It's so easy to forget, like uh, Bobby was saying. It's so easy for us to forget what Christ has done and who we were before Christ came. So 13, verse 10. We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. What's he saying? He's talking about people who aren't in Christ. They don't have a right to eat this meat. He's talking about the Lord's Supper, actually, uh, here. We have a right. And so it says, because we're priests. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as an offering for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus, also that He might sanctify the people... Sanctification comes through the cross, despite what some might believe. So that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the camp. That's why Jesus couldn't suffer in the temple, in Jerusalem. He had to be outside the camp for two reasons, to be propitiation and to take the sin of the people away from the camp. Because once the temple is built in Jerusalem, what does God call Jerusalem? What does David call Jerusalem? The city of God. And actually, Jerusalem means the city of peace. The end of Salam, Shalom, that's actually the end of Jerusalem. So the city of peace. How could such a terrible thing happen in the city and it stay pure? He had to suffer outside the camp. So what does he say in verse 13? So let us go out to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we do not have a lasting city, but we are seeking the city which is to come. I mean, the New Testament is constantly pointing us back to all the sacrifices in the book of Exodus, Leviticus, and some of Deuteronomy. I mean, the book of Leviticus is full of regulations on sacrifices and, I mean, just everywhere. 
I'm reading through it right now. And it's just every time you read another sacrifice that had to be done for a specific sin. And then still, on top of that, every year you had to sacrifice for the whole of the congregation to make the, the Holy of Holies a place where God would continue to dwell. I want to look at Isaiah 53. My prayer is that today we would be encouraged and remember what God brought us out of. It doesn't matter the situation you were in. I mean, I grew up in this church, but I was wicked and deserved hell. But Christ took that for me. And some of you lived out in the world and you experienced what the world says is great what the world is seeking, and you know you were wicked. And there's the whole spectrum in between. Our wickedness before God is because we are supplanting Him as ruler of our lives. God is holy. He cannot bear with wickedness. If He could, Jesus didn't need to die. All that was done in the Old Testament with this tabernacle was pointing to the need for a Savior to stop it all, to end the sacrifices. So 53, it says, Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For He grew up before Him like a tender shoot and like a root out of the parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty, that we should look upon Him, no appearance that He should be attracted to Him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and like one from whom men hide their face, He was despised and we did esteem Him. And we did not esteem Him. Surely our griefs He Himself bore, and our sorrows He carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed Him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. We were just like the Jews. If we had lived in the time of Christ, we would have been saying, crucify Him. That's what we say every time we live in sin. That's what we say as sinners, crucify Him. That's what we're saying. I'm not saying that we're... I'm not talking about sinless perfection, okay? But when you think of your choice to sin willfully, there wasn't a single sacrifice in the Old Testament for willful sin. Isn't that crazy? No sacrifice for willful sin. Yet God can forgive us. Anyways, back to... <laughs> when we live thinking, oh, I'm just going to be, you know, I've been freed by Christ to live how I want. No. He's redeemed us. He's the kinsman redeemer. He's like Boaz, and he's come to collect his bride, redeem us from destruction. We're Ruth in that situation. We've been redeemed by that kinsman redeemer. Verse 5, but he was pierced through for our, get that, transgressions. 
It wasn't, it wasn't the Romans who crucified Christ. In reality, it was God for us before we could even make a decision to follow Christ. It says, He was crushed, crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon Him. The depth of our wickedness crushed Him and bruised Him. And by His stripes we are healed. I don't know how you skip over that in most denominations that don't believe these things. The cross purchased not only our physical health, our spiritual health, but our physical health. How can we ignore that? How can we ignore what the Word of God says? Verse 6, all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. And if you know sheep, I know the Hartmans know sheep. Sheep are dumb, and if there's no gate, you will not find them if you leave them alone. Sheep are like, let's, they're kind of like chickens too. You know, they see their friend Mary Jane over here get run over by a truck, and they're like, oh, maybe I should try that too. They don't learn. Why do you think, <laughs> why do you think he's talking about me? It takes a lot for the Lord to get it through our, our sheep skulls how much we need Him. It says, each of us has turned our own way. This is Romans. I mean, Paul quotes this. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on Him. He's our scapegoat. He has substituted Himself in His Son for our sins. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. We have a hard day, and all we do is whine. Christ is bearing our sin on the way to die for us, and you don't hear a word. Not once does he complain. Not once does he say, I'm the Son of God. Well, in a roundabout way. He says yes to that question. But he doesn't seek his own right because he's given his rights up for us so that we can live free from sin. Verse 7, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shearers. He did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. He didn't deserve it. He was a spotless, perfect Lamb of God. That was the requirement for the atonement animals. Every sacrifice had to be perfect, without blemish, pure, Exactly the way God meant those animals to be. No impurities allowed. 
And as for his generation who considered that he was cut who considered that he was cut off of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due. His grave was assigned with wicked men. Yet he was with a rich man in his death. I mean, talk about prophecy. He was assigned to die with wicked men, the two thieves. Really, most likely they were rebelling because thievery didn't cause you death. But they use the same word to define someone who was rebelling against authority. So rebelling men, wicked men, period. And yet, pointing to his grave in a, an elite man's tomb. Because otherwise, he would have been thrown in the grave with those men if they hadn't come and asked for his body. Because he had no de- done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. But the Lord, this is, but the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. Some people want to call this cosmic uh, abuse of child abuse. Because how can the Lord, the Father, be pleased in crushing his own son? Because he saw us. He saw this church today. And he said, I want you to die for them. And Christ said, I will and I want to. He was crushed for us and it pleased the Lord to crush him. Because we were so wicked without him. So says, if he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see... His offering, he will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many. As he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the booty with the strong, because he poured himself out to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. That's our king, as Bobby was talking about. This is our Lord. This is what he's done for us. How can we not have joy when we think of what the cross purchased for us and brought us out of? It says in Ephesians that we were the children of wrath, destined for hell. There's a song that we're going to listen to later as I close that will really make that clear. It says in verse 2 Corinthians 5.21, So we're seeing a... Pr- a trans, uh, progression. First, the day of atonement. Then we see here in verse uh, chapter 53 of Isaiah the promise of a lamb to come to take away the sins of the world forever.
And then, where did I have that? I lost it. <laughs> Hebrews 10. It's amazing how this, this theme, this idea is throughout the New Testament. It didn't stop when Christ died on the cross. I will read this here as well. For the law, since it had only, verse 1, since it had only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form of things, can never by the same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise would not have ceased to be offered because the worshipers having once been cleansed would no longer have had consciousness of sins. What's Paul, whoever wrote Hebrews, what's he saying? If this was useful, if this was powerful... This atonement, this sacrificial system was sufficient. Why didn't it stop? It, eventually it would have to pay. He's saying it wasn't. But in those sacrifices there's a remainder, reminder of sins year by year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore when he... Christ came into the world, he says, Sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book that is written of me, to do your will, O God. After saying above, Sacrifice and offering and whole burnt offerings and sacrifice for sin, you have not desired, nor have you taken pleasure in them which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first in order to establish the second. By this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Christ Jesus once for all. On the cross of Calvary, all who would believe in Christ were sanctified. Once, sanctified for all, made holy before God. When God sees you, if you have believed in Christ and have been born again, you are sanctified. You don't have to go to the Catholic Church, become a monk, and then die after doing a lot of great things and hope that the Catholic Church will make you a saint. That somebody's going to believe they're going to pray to you, and a miracle is going to happen, and then another person is going to pray to you, and another miracle is going to happen, they're going to say, oh yeah, he was a saint because two people got healed because they prayed to him. That's what happened. That's how you have to become a saint. You have to have undeniable proof that prayers to you led to the healing of somebody. That's what, that's what it takes to be a saint. So I don't think any of us are saints in the Catholic sense of the word. But... The Bible is full of it. We are sanctified once and for all. We're saints. If you are a believer in this room today, you're a saint. You're a child of God. And this is what the Christ, Christ bought for us on the cross. 
Do you think we have to live in sickness? No, we're saints. We're the children of God. He loves us with an everlasting love. Keep going. Verse 11, Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. Never. Talk about vain repetition. No hope. And they know it. Can you imagine being the priest and you know that next year you're going to have to do the same sacrifice for the same people. And then the next year, until the day you die as the high priest, you're going to be doing these sacrifices and no real remission of sins is given. You're going to send out in your lifetime 70 scapegoats to the wilderness. And yet no true sin is taken away. But He, Christ, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, we don't need to make sacrifices for our sins. Christ did it. When we say, this is a side note, when we say, well, that didn't work for them, then it must not be true. You're basing your faith on the faith of someone else. Right? When we say, well, it didn't work for them, I mean, a lot of people use that for Spurgeon because he died with some kind of disease. Like, wouldn't God have done it for Spurgeon? That's between him and the Lord, not me. I don't know. All the cases that we have experienced in the last three years, I don't know what God's purpose is in it. But if we use that logic, then we need to go to Job. He was a righteous man, and we just need to throw everything out because what happened to him? It said he prayed every time his family got together, and every single one of them died. Everything was taken away in a day. Is God worth serving even if he took everything away? Yes. And that's what the story of Job proves to us and proves to the devil. God's people will follow him no matter what. But we also believe in God. We trust in his word. And we see the promises of God happen in this church in the future and God using this church. This is what I'm seeing. I see God using this church in the future for the, reaching the community, for reaching the world that our church would send out missionaries. That's my desire. That's my hope that we don't have to think about when we come in this room all the seats that are empty, but all the seats that could be filled. I'm not saying I wouldn't like to see some people who have left come back. Absolutely. But I also see a hope. Maybe God is pushing us to realize that we need to get out of these walls and preach the gospel. To go outside of the camp and suffer reproach with the Lord. Whether it's in our work. That's a part of the gospel. That's a side note back to the... (laughs) It says, the Holy Spirit also testifies to us for this saying, this is the covenant that I make with them. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws upon their heart and on their mind I will write them. Then he says, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. That's a promise. 
When we become Christians, we can come to the Lord and repent. We're going to see where that's, that's leading. Now where there is forgiveness of these things, there is no longer an offering, any offering for sin. We don't need to work our way to heaven. Christ did it already. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, that's what we take inside of the veil. The veil was ripped in half when Jesus died on the cross. He suffered those hours on the cross for us. And we don't even understand what he went through. There's not even an ability to to grasp it. But it's like we're that high priest. We bring the blood of Christ in and touch the east side of the Ark of the Covenant and throw the blood in front of the mercy seat. We have entrance. We don't have to go through a priest anymore. We don't have to wear the, the garments of the priest. We can be in our bed at home waking up in the morning and going through something and come to Christ through the blood of Christ. We can sit before His throne and see His power move in our lives. We can see people like Granny Faye restored to the Lord. We can see people like my wife who's going to be healed of all this the devil's trying to attack her with. We don't have to live in in bondage anymore. We can come to Him every day. We get to come into His presence every day. Every morning when we wake up, we can enter into His presence. And then when we come together as a body, can you imagine if we're all experiencing God's presence every day of every life, of, of our lives, what happens when however many people are in here come together and they, we've all experienced Christ that week? Can you imagine how good the fellowship would be? If we're remembering what Christ did for us, and we're entering into the Holy of Holies, into His presence, inviting His presence into our lives daily, taking up our cross. Since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which He inaugurated for us through the veil, that is, His flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, Let us draw near with sincere faith in full assurance of faith. Sincere heart, sorry, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Don't give up. Don't quit. Christ is still on His throne. And He's calling us, come to me. Bring to me your needs. Worship me with your life. That's our call. As a church, our church should be seeking to magnify God in all we do, together and apart. When one of us is going out, we should support him. Because this is a group effort it's not a one person oh that's their thing no we're a body we support one another and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds 
I didn't mean to read verse 25, but maybe this is a good one too. <laughs> Not forsaking our assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. What day is he talking about? The day of the Lord, when we will see him face to face. As Christians, what a greater opportunity. We're going to see our Savior who bore our curse, who bore our sin face to face. And it says, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. Can you imagine? I, that's the thing I think about when I think about heaven. I'm sure Brother Guthrie would not want to come back. I know he doesn't. I know all who have gone on to be with the Lord have seen him face to face and they've experienced the presence of God. They've experienced the presence of a Savior who died selflessly for them. He loved them so, so much. It says in Hebrews 9.12, He obtained eternal redemption for us. In Matthew 20.28, He gave His life as a ransom for many. In 1 Peter 1.19, He was as a lamb unblemished and spotless for us. In 1 Timothy 2.6, as a ransom for all. And again, we we read Galatians 3. He became a curse for us. He took the entire curses. Let's just look real quick. I think we have time. So I know this is, I I hope this hasn't felt long because I have not felt like this was long. But I also am long-winded. Is it uh, Deuteronomy... 28, yeah. I don't know why I was looking at 23. Okay. If you diligently obey the Lord your God, being careful to do all His commandments which I command you today, the Lord your God will set you you high above all the nations of the earth. All these blessings will come upon you and overtake you if you obey the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city, blessed in the country, blessed in the offspring of your body, Produce of your ground, offspring of the beast, increase of your herd, the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall be when you come in and when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise up against you to be defeated. The Lord will command the blessing upon you in your barns. And all that you put your hand to, you'll bless the land which the Lord gives you. He will establish you as a holy people. So all the earth, people of the earth, will see that you are called by the name of the Lord, and they will be afraid of you. The Lord will make you abound in prosperity in the offspring of your body and the offspring of your beast and the produce of the ground and the land which the Lord swore to the fathers. These blessings of God are for His people. Why? Because Jesus took verse 15 of this chapter to the end upon Himself. What did he say? But if you do not obey these to observe and do, cursed shall you be in the city, cursed shall you be in the country, cursed will be your basket and your kneading bowl, cursed will be the offspring of your body and the ground and the increase of your flock. Cursed when you come in and cursed when you go out. That's what Jesus experienced for us on the cross. 
And He took it for us because He loved us. And He wanted to deliver us from the dominion of the enemy. This is why we believe. This is why we trust Him because guess what? When we trust what He says and we live by His Word and we apply what He's done to our lives, we experience His presence and we proclaim the glory of God to the whole earth. That's the purpose of the church. It's to proclaim the gospel wherever we go. And with that gospel comes power. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are meant to be manifestations of the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That's what it's about. That's a part of the purpose of the church. So what does the end time look like? We've looked at now, we looked at the past, the, the proclaiming of prophecy about Christ. Let's look in Revelation. This theme is the theme of the temple and the sacrifice does not end. I think that's why it's so important for us to remember. That's it's so easy. Like I said, the title is it's Have We Forgotten? Have we forgotten what Christ did? What the word says he did. Revelation chapter 5. I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written inside and on the back, sealed up with seven seals. I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book, to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look into it. Then I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy open the book or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Behold, the the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seals. What's the picture here? The lion, the king of the jungle. The root of David, the king, the promised king of Israel. He has overcome. How? Well, we're going to see. And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. What a difference. The king and the lamb, the lion and the lamb, so so opposites. Such an opposite thing. But here, Christ as the King came and died. He forsook His place in heaven for a time. Came as man in the flesh. God, man in flesh to take upon Himself our sin. He took the book and the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayer of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom of priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. 
Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, sounding with a voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And every created thing which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all the things in them I heard saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. The four living creatures kept saying, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. This is the whole history of the world right here is complete in the Lamb. The Lamb has not stopped. Somehow when we see Christ, we're going to experience seeing the one who died as a lamb for us. The one who was the scapegoat who went outside the camp. The one who bore our sin on the sacrifice there. All those sacrifices were completed in Christ, the perfect spotless lamb of God. And he came because he loved us. That's why it's easy to say, you know what, by his stripes we are healed. Why? Because He atoned for our sin. He took that curse that belonged to us and He took it away outside the camp. He bore it for us. I think that's all that I have. I, uh, well, I do want to read in this book there was a hymn that I really, really liked. John Newton wrote it. If you don't remember, John Newton was a, he was a slave trader, I believe. And this is what he wrote. In evil long I took delight, unawed by shame or fear, till a new object struck my sight and stopped my wild career. I saw one hanging on a tree in agonies and blood, who fixed his languid eyes on me as near his cross I stood. Sure, never till my last breath can I forget that look. It seemed to charge me with his death, though not a word he spoke. My conscience felt and owned the guilt and plunged me in despair. I saw my sins his blood had split and helped nail him there. Alas, I knew not what I did, but now my tears are vain. Why shall my trembling soul be hid? For I, the Lord, have slain. A second look he gave which said, I freely all forgive. This blood is for thy ransom paid. I die that thou mayest live. Thus, while his death my sin displays in all its blackest hue, such is the mystery of grace, it seals my pardon too. With pleasing grief, And mournful joy, my spirit now is filled, that I should such a life destroy, yet live by him I killed. If you want to look up that hymn, it's really good. (laughs) Uh, Joseph, I have a song that he's going to play. It's kind of on this theme, and then if Bobby wants to lead us, I don't know. (laughs) It's a really... uh, Let's just say I was crying last night as I was listening to this song, so I might cry again. But uh, we'll listen to this song and then we'll pray and dismiss.
was lost in darkest night, yet thought I knew the way, the sin that promised joy and light had led me to the grave. I had no hope that you would own a rebel to your will. And if you had not loved me first, I would refuse you still. But as I ran my hellbound race, indifferent to the cost, you looked upon my helpless state and led me to the cross and I beheld God's love displayed you suffered in my place you bore the wrath reserved for me now all I know is grace Father, we 
We thank you so much for your love for us, or that you sent your Son to die for our sins, that you were pleased to crush him for our sins. That while we were dead in our sins, running towards hell, Lord, you came down just like you did with Paul, stopped him dead in his tracks, Lord. You did the same with us. You opened our eyes to the truth of the gospel, Lord, to the fullness that comes with that. We thank you, Lord, and we praise you, Lord, for this. And we just ask, Lord, that this week and the weeks that come, Lord, we would not forget what you've done, not forget what we have come from, who we were before you saved us, before you delivered us by your grace. Lord, help us to run after you with all our hearts. Lord, help us to reserve nothing for ourselves, but to give all for the cause of Christ, all to the kingdom of God, and all to serving one another as a body. Lord, help us to seek first your kingdom. Lord, it's in the grace that comes through Christ, the power that we have to serve you. And we just come before you.